Hey everyone, this is Flippin' Finance. I'm Sam Ismore and I'm joined by my co-host Fabian. Hello, hello. Today is August 1st, 2023. Today we're covering an update on the economy and possibly housing if we have enough time. With that out of the way, I, I don't want to say that, get out of the way. You can edit that right, hopefully. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Damn it. Keep the disclosure music. As always, none of this is investment advice and does not constitute an offer to buy or sell securities, nor do any of my opinions reflect those of my employer, Valeo Financial Advisors, or any of its affiliates. This is for education purposes only. And things change, so we have no duty to go back and revise any information. With that out of the way, how are you, Fabian? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty I'm good? I'm doing pretty good. I just got back from a few days of vacation with a bunch of friends and all their kids, and it was way less hectic than I thought it was going to be. Okay. Um, so... Doing doing pretty good. And the kids like entertain themselves. So you guys got like a break. Did it work that way? Yes. Yes. And no. I mean, you still had to keep a vigilant eye, but there would the, the like range of ages really worked itself well enough to where the older ones could kind of watch and babysit the younger ones. But you did. Okay. I mean, when you're at the ocean, you kind of have to be careful. Make sure no one's <laughs> at, drowning. At all yeah. ages. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. How are you? I'm pretty good. I got peer pressured into getting this better mic, so hopefully I sound better. I don't know. We'll see. You sound you sound good to me. Whatever makes you happy. <laughs> well, I appreciate you uh, continuing to stimulate the economy with all your travels, um, and that's going to be part of what we talk about today. Is diving into what I call the economic Goldilocks of what we're experiencing. And feel free to stop me with your questions at any time because I might ramble. Because I'm going to get excited. Last week was for you. Tay Tay. That, that's right. Last week was for you. This week's for me because like the economic Goldilocks is what really gets me going because it really has been a perfect situation that, that not many people would have predicted. We've had continued economic strength. Um, GDP just came in as roughly 2.4% over the last quarter. And the big news though is inflation has come down. So we've got from a peak of 9%, in June of 2022 to now about right around 3%, uh, roughly a little more than a year later, no one would have predicted you could have had economic growth stabilize and continue growing and inflation come down from historical highs. I mean, it was higher in the 70s and 80s, but still like we hadn't seen 9% inflation in our lifetimes. And for it to come down without a recession, without um, a big dislocation in the economy, things continue to like be okay. So it's kind of the Goldilocks of not too hot. Inflation is not too crazy, not too cold. We're not having a recession, but just the bright amount of economic activity going on that is, no one has really predicted. Is this kind of like what they refer to, and, and maybe this is more like the military, but like a black swan event, right? Where this is just like very odd and unique. Has this happened? I mean, I think I heard you allude to that, that it really hasn't happened before, right? I wouldn't say black swan. I would say black swan is more COVID kind of was, but wasn't because, I mean, we had a similar pandemic almost a hundred years ago. So black swan is just something that like the definition of it is it's like you, you can't even contemplate it. Like a black swan was not even thought of. They were only white until someone showed up in Australia and was like, oh snap, there's a black swan there. <laughs> and this changes like everything. Whereas like 
it wasn't like pandemics weren't unknown. And if you go look at like what Bill Gates was talking about, that was his biggest concern. And and honestly, we got kind of lucky that COVID wasn't as deadly as it could have been. So I don't think this is more of a black swan. This is more just continued unprecedented events where if you look at previous history, you would have gotten your prediction wrong. Okay. Yeah. Kind yeah. of sounds like the same thing, but I mean, to me, well, no, matter. even like <laughs> I mean, black boy, I mean, like you, you could, you could say that, like, uh, I'm it, just it, giving but, you a hard okay. time. Okay. All right. Man. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I gave you a hard time about Taylor Swift. That's fine. Um, but if you, if you look at the uh, economy, the bad vibes that we had, which you can look at through like con- consumer sentiment and other surveys were worse than 2008. So if you went and asked people in 2022, how do you feel about the economy? They would have felt worse than what I would say is a black swan event in 2008, where a, a huge economic depression because of just misaligned incentives. And I can go on about that. Um, but people feel worse off than they did in 2008. So that's, that's saying something there. Um, at the same time, though, if you look at stocks year to date, you've got S&P 500. It's up 19%. And you got tech stocks that took a beating last year, have really rallied year to date so far. So if you're looking at QQQ, which is an ETF that follows tech stocks, um, it's up 41% year to date. So really big rally in, in stocks. And that's part of why people, I think, are starting to feel good. That wealth effect that we've talked about before. If your portfolio is a little bit higher and the sky isn't falling, you know, maybe you go to South Carolina. That, exactly. And is the increase that crazy 41% numbering that's tech stocks, does mm-hmm. that correlate with all the layoffs in tech? Not not really, because if you look at the performance of the, the contribution, as, as you would say, as a CFA of the tech stock performance, it's really been the bigger companies that have been driving it. So we've talked about NVIDIA before that mm-hmm. the AI supercomputer chips that you need. I mean, that's a huge company. They weren't laying off people. Microsoft was doing um, is doing really well. Uh, Facebook, Meta, they did have some layoffs, but at the same time, they probably had overstaffed from there. Right. And a big function of it is just earnings have continued to to grow. And right, which is, I mean, what Salesforce alluded to as well was just like they grossly misjudged how much actual workforce they needed. Yeah, right, and they were just adjusting or something. Yeah, so I wouldn't say it's like a function of the the layoffs or anything like that. I think it was an unfortunate resetting specifically in that one. But I think the bigger one is is more starter startups and lower, lower down. The biggest driver of returns has just been the larger companies that really didn't have huge layoffs like there were lower down on the, the capital structure. Got it. Yeah. So just more like earnings and the valuations bouncing back from you know getting getting hit in 2022. And then you can out go and guess. So everyone, everyone over the beginning of 2023 was saying the recession was coming. Uh, everyone continues to be concerned, but it seems like the economic goalposts continue to being moved. So not, not this two-handed economist. I didn't call for a recession in 2023. Um, if anything, I got it right. If anyone wants to be surveying me, but now <laughs> humble, Look brag. It up. humble brag, it's in yeah. my writing. Um, but now it's just, well, when is the recession going to happen? So it's just, it's part of normal economic cycles. I think everyone gets really concerned and scarred when you talk about recessions because we all lived through 2008 and that was just absolutely horrible. So if you look at history as a guide, um, 
Now, monetary policy, so that's what the Fed does, changed drastically in the 80s with Fed Volk, with uh, Paul Volcker raising rates at the Federal Reserve to really high to stop inflation, as we all remember, of course. Uh, of but, course. Af- <laughs> but after that, the, the monetary policy run by the Fed changed. So ever since 1982, we have had longer economic expansions that have lasted right about nine years. So if you, and this is in the show notes, so if you look at the 90s, the 2000s, uh, the 2001, and then the, the last cycle we had from 2010 to 2022, the expansions have just been longer, running about nine years. And then also the only thing that stopped the 2022 expansion was COVID. So it, it probably could have kept on going if it wasn't and for it, that. Expansion is just like positive economic growth, yep. but not a, the opposite of a recession. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So recession is, it's the rule of thumb of a recession is two quarters of negative GDP growth, but that's not like the actual definition. There's like six factors they look at. So we had a mini blip in beginning of 22, but that was just a resetting in the economy. It wasn't really a real recession if you look at the the six factors of that. But just expansion is just, you might have like a little blip in a quarter or something like that. Expansion is just continued growth in the economy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, other prognosticators are calling for, for a recession. If you, I don't know, if you look, if you follow politics at all, everyone's claiming the world's going to end and everything like that. I would just shut that off. But if you look at history, <laughs> yeah, if <laughs> politics is going to get really weird <laughs> a lot quicker with primaries coming up. Um, but if you look at the history, it would say that we have longer to go, even three to four more years in in this cycle before anything would happen on that. I mean, this just sounds like anytime we talk about the debt ceiling is that it's always coming and then sure. like it never comes, right? And then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, here it comes again. And then, you know, to your point at the beginning of this section is just like, they keep moving the goalpost, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. don't take that, you know, as long as the recession continues to go away, it's almost like a way to keep the people in check. And- I, I tried to put the your question about the U.S. debt ceiling into into the, this this newsletter, but I, I ran out of space for it. But like we've added like 1.5 trillion in debt ever since the ceiling got raised. You know, you haven't heard about that, have you? <laughs> no. Right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm um, put my tinfoil hat on. Yeah, it's like they're, de- they're devaluing crypto is the way to go. You know, I like beans and guns. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> I do like I, beans. I've had I've had clients like that. It's like I want gold, and I'd be like, "Well, if the world does end, don't you want like beans and ammo? Like, no one wants your gold. I want some guns." Yeah. Beans. Have you ever read The Road? You know what he was looking for: <laughs> beans and bullets. You know what I mean? I'm he was sure. looking for gold and silver. Yeah, there wasn't really a mention of that. It was really yeah. And so. the beans that he did get were pretty gross. Exactly. Spoiler alert. Exactly. That author just passed away. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. How about that? Anyways, back to economic news. Um, <laughs> if you look, um, one thing that I really like too is the the Atlanta Fed puts up a estimate for uh, GDP growth based on just, it's just on data. And if there's been a continued theme in the past where you have the consensus, which is a bunch of uh, economics, you know, people like me, 
Um, I get it right, though. They've been getting it wrong. That's fine. Um, they've continued to guess that economic growth will be about zero to about 1%. And if you look at the GDP now in the Atlanta Fed, it's continued to be higher than consensus. So the last two quarters, they were expecting recessions in the consensus. GDP Fed, which is just looking at data, has said that economic growth will continue. That's the case again for Q3. So we've got the consensus that's barely above negative, where I'm looking at 3.5% as of today. Now that could come down, that could change really quickly. But it's it's just interesting to see like a continued theme of the professionals who I'm waiting for my call for the survey. Um, I continue to underestimate the just the strength of the economy. It's almost like being a weatherman, right? But I think they're right a little bit more often. Oh, I think they're they're right way more often. Just people <laughs> hate it when they're because you have to do it every day, and like I think people misunderstand like what fifty percent chance of rain means and things like that. We we don't have time to get into it. Okay, all right. Put, put your real time foil out on for that. Um, one other thing I'd like to look at too was there's a great chart in the in the newsletter, but whenever you have ninety percent of the S and P five hundred companies, they are so you. What you have is a moving average. 50-day moving average is a, is a favorite one. So it takes the average of the last 50 days and you get a line on it. And if a stock is above the 50-day moving average, it means it's trending really well. Does that make sense? Did I explain that well? Yes. Okay. So 90% of the S&P 500 is above its 50-day moving average. That's doesn't really happen a lot. You can actually go back historically and see what happens to future returns when you get a similar um, trend structure going. And 92% of the time, stocks are higher a year later when the market is trending this strongly. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, history, you could have that, that 8% happen. Who knows? Um, but if you're looking at economic historical data, you're looking at stock market historical data, it tends to say that things could probably continue for a little bit longer unless, you know, a black swan event happens. And I have no idea what it could be. I mean, you Small know, pox, don't, 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 don't put that in. nowhere, nowhere diseases. I don't know. Something so else. What you're saying though is that people should feel confident right now, like given these numbers that you're talking about. Yes. Yes. You should feel, you should feel good about it. we're in the Goldilocks phase, but I'm about to switch into what could go wrong? Oh, no. <laughs> I know. So, so th that's that's everything that's going well right now. So you look at historical data, you look at where everything's set up. It looks like we're still pretty good. Being a two-handed economist, on the other hand, the Federal Reserve has gone from 0% rates all the way up to 5.25% in a pretty quick fashion. So in about a year, they've raised rates that high. And if you listen to the Fed, if you listen to... Uh, other economists who we were just bashing, uh, getting it wrong. They do have a good point, though, that um, higher rates take time to filter through into the economy. And if you see it here in the show notes, uh, about 2024, 2025, you're looking at you know a negative contribution to GDP, about 2%, 1% because of higher rates. So if rates are higher, meaning you're less likely to, to buy a home, to purchase things on credit, it's just more expensive. So that would reverberate out um, throughout the economy. Now, maybe it'll may be made up for Taylor Swift concerts and things like that. I mean, she's bringing an island of Fiji type of spending into, into the economy, but 
you know, if rates continue to go any higher, which they're not supposed to, the Fed has said they're going to taking pause and, and raising rates, that could slow down. I think the, there's uh, some truth to that, though. I just heard a rumor that she's going to do a second leg of her Eras tour after she finishes up Europe to she's hit just all the put, cities that she didn't get to go to, Indy being one of them. Oh. Yeah. See, Taylor Swift is just putting the, the world, the world economy on her back. Yeah. Let's she just really hope is. that that back doesn't falter because we need it. Because <laughs> I mean, if there's tons of articles coming out. I mean, I wasn't the first one to talk about it, but her tour, I mean, the the reverberations of consumer spending are being noticed, which is wild. Wild. I mean, um, sorry, I'm getting excited about Taylor Swift and the economy. <laughs> there you go. Um, the other bad things. <laughs> talking about the recession. Uh, uh, recession. The other consensus, people are continuing to expect recession um, risks increasing because of those Fed rate hikes. But if you stop looking at the surveys and look at some of the leading economic indicators, so once again, data, um, those are starting to turn down a little bit. So um, could be just a quirk in the data because of the continued like reset that we're going through from from COVID and things probably, you know, they spike and they come back down and they're resetting. Um, that could be part of it as well. Um, but if you're, if you're looking at some of the leading indicators, like eh, maybe things slow down a little bit. Any questions there? So tangentially, right? So one thing that I noticed when I was in South Carolina, and maybe we can work this into exactly what we've been talking about, is we went to two different coffee shops, okay? And you know that everybody's asking for tips these days, right? So the they turn the screen, and they're like, hey, we just got one more question, which is like, why would you even say that? It's not a question. It's like, hey, here's the tip screen, right? So whatever. So anyway, sure. it, this is the first time that I've noticed that the percentages have oh, gone yeah. from 10, 15, you know, 20 to the Where minimum being like 23, 28, and 30. Yeah. I'm just like a third of the price of what I just bought, you're asking for in a tip? Like this is crazy. So how do you think that that, if at all, kind of correlates into what we're seeing in the economy right now. Part of it, I'm uh, part of it I think is still it's really hard to find workers for some of those service jobs. So I, I think it in, in a way it's a it's a good push to put the the power back into the the workers' hands. Cause for so long, I mean I remember trying to get a job out of college and all this other stuff. Now everywhere's hiring. Any mm -hmm. any place that that you don't really need a college degree to to work at, all have higher hiring signs on it. And like if I was a barista or something like that, I'd be like, "Yeah, you're lucky I'm here today." You know, cuz I could I can go work for Amazon, maybe you don't want to for like $30 an hour or something like that. But I think part of it is power back to the worker, but also all these companies are trying to figure out how to pay their workers more with inflation and competition. And an easy way to do it is push it onto the consumer. So instead of raising prices, they kind of raise it through this odd tipping culture that we have now. Yeah, which is crazy because it has a negative impact on me. If I'm seeing like a 30, I'm like, well, I'm just going to go to the like lower or custom, <laughs> right? And just like do my own math. Or maybe get completely turned off and not tip at all. Not that I ever really do that, but it's like, it's yeah. it's kind of infuriating at, at a point, right? And I don't need the yeah. service industry to come attack me for this, but 
you know, you said something interesting. It's just like, but if inflation is coming down, how does that have the negative, like the adverse effect of raising that, right? So well, it's almost like you, so, you get accustomed to these inflationary numbers and then that isn't commensurate with when the inflation rates come down. To, like, they don't readjust. I'm not, I'm not saying that you have a misnomer, but inflation isn't its rate of change is just slowing. So the prices everywhere are not resetting and going lower. That would be deflation. Just the rate of inflation is slowing down. So it's not like prices are resetting lower and the cost of living has changed. The costs are still there. It's just they're not going up as fast as they were. So like we, ha we had huge inflation last year, but it's not like those prices have come down. This is they've stopped going up as fast. Right. Yeah. And I, I did see an article, obviously didn't read it, but that the average <laughs> price of the, of a brand new car is oh, yeah. like north of like $30,000 or something like that. Yeah. When in the past it was like, I, I don't know what the number was. I just saw a couple of things and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll bank that. Oh yeah. So I think that's still part, it's exactly where it is where prices have increased so much, but they're not going to come back down. I forget. I've seen articles like that before. But like any new car, you're talking thirty five thousand, which just I, I don't know. That just seems really high. Just like if any new car you go looking at, you're in the thirties. You're just okay. Here we go. Different. Here we go. Oh. This is oh, no. this is coming from MoneyGeek.com. As of March 2023, the average price of a new car is forty eight thousand and eight dollars, according to Kelly Blue Book. Okay, that's crazy. I'm seeing that now too. Yeah. For a new car, almost $50,000. That's nuts. But, but that goes exactly into what you're talking about with inflation is not going up as much, but it's not like these car prices are coming right. down. So they've, they've increased roughly 27% since pre COVID. I doubt they continue to increase at the rate that they have in the past, but it's not like it's going to go down unless right. you have a recession of some sort. It's like that saying, it's like, once you give up your rights, they don't give them back, right? So it's like, once, once, you've, you paid this much, once you've paid this much for a new car, they're not going to go back and be like, okay, we're going to discount it again. Yeah. It, it does look like the full-size cars came down a little bit. So that's good. You got that going for you. But everything else is higher. Man. So, yeah. Ferraris <laughs> ain't cheap, bro. <laughs> Uh, so my, one of my new clients is huge into Porsches and, uh, I got like an hour education on that last week. So I'm, Riveting. Oh, uh, well I listened to this whole podcast, like a three hour history in Porsche. It's pretty sweet. I'll send it to you. It's amazing. We can listen to oh. it on our car right up. Ooh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have time for a quick housing update or should we yes. shelve it for next week? Depends on what you mean by quick. There's a joke in there, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that slide. Um, yeah. So I think the housing and economy kind of, they go hand in hand. And there's there's four factors to really look at when you're thinking about housing. It's supply, demand, affordability, and credit availability. But I think it makes sense to take a step back. and was like, how did home prices get to where they are today? Because it's not like rates were really low in 2018 and 2019 before COVID. It's, it's, the low rate phenomenon wasn't really 100% what drove uh, housing prices. One is that office space became really less desirable. I think a lot of value from office spaces got funneled over into single family homes. So that's one. And this is even pre-COVID, you think? No, this is like COVID. So if we gotcha. hit COVID, 
So pre-COVID, I mean, like rates were low. So in the in the right. show notes here, you could have gotten a mortgage rate. Um, let's look at here. Right about 3.5. Mm-hmm. Still pretty good. You know, you want to bottom take mortgage rates, but that's still like an, a, an incredibly affordable mortgage rate that is only 1% above inflation. That's still really, really low based on historicals. But you hit COVID, I think a lot of the value in offices shift to single family homes. Remote work and everything like that. People wanted the bigger homes and wanted to get out of the city. At the same time, everyone was talking about millennials finally forming their own um, housing formation. And COVID definitely started that. So here is a, a stat that I got from a Bloomberg podcast. So if you're looking at household formation, you would have said demographics warrant 1.3 to 1.4 formations per year over the last five years. What, what is a formation? So that, that would be like I move out of my, my, my apartment with my roommate and I'm now on my own. Got so it. yeah, so that would be a household formation. I move out of my parents. I now form, I'm oh, on my own. Oh, got it. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. So forming your own, like you're on your own. Yep. In the last three years, we've seen closer to 1.8 million household formations. So it's about 25 to 30% higher over the last three years versus pre-COVID. So you have a ton of people that finally went out and formed housing uh, on there. So that was a really big part of it was, in my opinion, the the shift of value from homes and then people actually going out and forming homes because there's a big backlog of people that who didn't do it uh, on there. I'm going to pause for questions before I ramble. No, you got it. Okay. Uh, supply, and I'm going to have like an overarching conclusion on all this, so I'm going to run through it. Supply continues to be pretty low. So if you look at it year over year, uh, sitting here in July, according to Redfin, uh, active listings are down about 17%. And the reason for that is a lot of people are just locked into those really low mortgages. So if you bottom ticked mortgage rates, you you were looking at something like 2.5. I've seen a couple at like 2% mortgages. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. So you have these people sitting with ultra low mortgages. And then from that same same podcast, 79% of mortgage homeowners have a mortgage rate of three, three and a half percent, 79% at 3%. So, like, they're not incentivized to move at all um, from that. So, it's just kind of wild, in my opinion. And if you go and look at the median affordability of a home. So, in 2020 and 2021, the monthly payment for the median home, which was, it's now about 390 I think back then the median home was around 350 off the top of my head. Uh, the monthly payment was roughly about 1600 from affordability standpoint, now you're sitting at 2,600. So not not double, but we're up like 60, 70% on the monthly affordability uh, of these homes. So you've, you've had this big spike up in the median price and now it's coming back down just because you have higher rates and you've got people that are just, why would I move? I mean, I don't know what your mortgage rate is, but I have 2.75%. That's where, that's where I'm at. And it's like, well, if we move to Denver, I'm going to try and keep that house. It's such a great asset at that debt level. But then you have the median price. It's resetting a little bit. So medium home price is about 390. It was a little a lot higher than that. It's come down. Um, so not like a crash, like people, someone say, but just like a modest reset. So if you look at 
where I expect housing to go to the future. I don't think it's doom and gloom. So you got really low supply because me and you don't want to move. That's right. You still have demand. People like want houses. We're behind on single home family construction. And on top of that, um, rents are finally stopping going up with part of that inflation number coming down. The issue though is affordability. These are still really, I mean, that's a big chunk for the median family to do 2,600 on a three, $390,000 home. It's a pretty big monthly paycheck because of the inflation right. and um, the interest rates. So, but credit still, still tends to be there. So if you look at all four of those and with the fed stopping its rate hikes, and maybe they cut a little bit next year. Mortgage rates will come down a little bit. It seems like housing is at this kind of like we talked about earlier, where you know you have this big jump, and now housing is kind of plateauing. It's kind of the same. With and all when those you other. say that cr- credit is still there, what, what do you mean by that? Oh, like you could still, you know, if you're a qualified borrower, you could still go get a mortgage. Oh, right, right. Yeah. They're not like halting giving out yeah. loans. Yeah, they're not. No, no. It's just um, underwriting is a little tighter. But if you're if you're a qualified buyer right now. Um, you you could get one. Also, like banks are dying to do mortgage business right now because because all those active listings are lower. Not people are putting their homes on the market, so mortgages are really slowed up. So they want to be tighter, but also like the mortgage business has really slowed. So that, that's kind of meeting right. in the middle from a credit availability standpoint. So that's my housing. Prediction. I love it. So no I, crash, I, I do... just modest plateau. Okay. That's the takeaway. Yeah. Modest plateau, no crash. Uh, yeah. I, I do have a question that we will not get into today, but I think it would be good for a future episode because we've talked about this, but it's has to do with housing and it's whether or not to pay off your mortgage, if you can, the benefits and drawbacks from that and what you could do alternatively. And I don't know if that falls into the like, realm of advice. No, I'm I want to do a full episode. <laughs> Oh, we'll do a full episode on this, but I'm going to answer this now. Is is this pertaining to you personally? I, a friend. Asking for a friend. Just <laughs> a friend yourself. Hello, uh, I am friend. <laughs> oh, I think um, so I, we have a lot of clients that ask this question too. And all of them, I mean, they have mortgage rates that are lower than ours. Like I'm talking 2.5, really wow. great rates. Yeah. So some of them are physicians. And you can get with physician loans, banks get really aggressive on the rate. And everyone feels better with a paid off home. But real estate is one of those really unique asset classes that allows for leverage. Um, And if you can lever your home at 2.5% and or lower, you should be taking that equity out and investing in something else. So if if your plan is trying to maximize wealth, having a paid off home is subpar because you have this huge equity number in a home that you got to pay maintenance on all those other costs and everything that people don't factor in when they sell their home. Like, Oh, it went up 50 grand or whatever. But like I had to replace the washing machine. I had to do X, Y, Z. I had to do pain and like, Oh, it's 12 grand. But people never tell you that like when they go to sell their home. Um, So if wealth creation and growth is your goal, then having no leverage on your house is probably suboptimal. But at the end of the day, I always go back to like, how do you feel if it's keeping you up at night for whatever reason, then I think there's probably a happy medium in it. We can do a whole episode on that. And I think we should, because I have a a ton of follow-up questions, but it's something that I think about often. My friend thinks about often. Got me. (laughs) Uh, So I think it's, it's especially now it's just an interesting point to get into, especially with people locked into such low rates and the rates not coming down. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So for next time, teaser. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. We can do that next week. Yeah. And with that, no other burning questions? Not for me, buddy. Okay. Thanks for everyone's time. Subscribe, share, and rate the podcast. And as always, we take quote unquote friend questions all the time. <laughs> and, and we'll give a recap. We can give a recap next week. We're, we're going to go do a triathlon on a lake uh, this weekend. So we can give a Maybe We can look at home prices on that lake. Yes, I would love to. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye.